comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. the creator of the webcomic Valkyrie Squadron. Uh, you can find Valkyrie Squadron at www.valkyriesquadron.com. This person is also an extremely talented artist. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to the one and only, uh, now is it Jules Rivera? Jules Rivera, that's the one. All right, Jules Rivera. Jules, how you doing? I am doing great this evening. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool. Now, for the people that aren't aware of what Valkyrie, Valkyrie Squadron is about, can you tell them uh, what this uh, webcomic's about? Well, uh, Valkyrie Squadron is about a team of four heroines. They fight robots in space, and they are charged with the task of finding um, these uh, kidnapped colonists. See, there are um, the drones. They're going after colonists. They're not going after military targets anymore. And really, it's about uh, these women's task of finding these drones and, uh, you know, finding what is happening to the colonists that are disappearing. They're not dying, they're disappearing. And uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a space opera, drama sort of thing. I read the um, the intro or the prologue is called uh, War Bites uh, last night. And I reread it again before uh, before doing this interview. And actually, uh, War Bites has so far has been like, like one of my favorite things to read. It's so much, in fact, that it actually got me more hyped to read the first chapter, which I then enjoyed a lot um and like the main reason why is you really get a good feel of uh, lieutenant priscilla vega in in war bites and you get an even stronger feel of the character um and her motivations in the first chapter as well and with the character of priscilla vega what were your motivations in creating this character for valkyrie squadron well Valkyrie Squadron in general is supposed to be aimed at a uh, younger female audience. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea was to create a strong heroine that was uh, still relatable and still warm and friendly and, and fun to be around. But uh, she's still very serious about the work that she does. And uh, I just wanted to create a heroine that uh, people could look up to but also relate to. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And then I, I come from a um, an era of like, as far as like reading comics from yesteryear to today, where you don't have a lot of action based or even sci fi soap opera based American style comics that have female leads. And so, yeah, don't know it. Oh yeah, and so and so when you see something like Valkyrie Squadron, like the first thing that like caught my attention, I first checked out Valkyrie Squadron, I was. 
I think by the time it happened, like I was like knee deep into, um, it was like one of your latest comics that you just dropped on the site. So then once again, once we got this whole interview set up, I went back to the beginning, but you know, you get dog fights, you get the sci-fi balance, you get the soap opera and, but it's from like, said, so the female lead perspective and it's just, that's just something you don't see every day. So, and especially, and especially if you see it, you want to see it done well, and this is done well. So that entices me to continue to read and read it every time it updates. But um, the one thing I enjoy about it is that not only do you have this character in Priscilla Vega, but you also have the the um, Valkyrie Squadron team as well, and they have their own distinct personalities. So they're and they're all three dimensional characters. They're not two D, but they're three D. Um, could you elaborate on those a little bit for me? Oh, well, I wanted to have every character be a contributing member of a team, right? Priscilla is the leader. She is the, uh, you know, kind of the main strategist, tactician, who is going to, you know, make the orders to go into battle, to, um, you know, direct uh, direct certain uh, objectives in battle. That's her goal, right? That's kind of her, her position in the team, as well as she's kind of the, the sort of leader, uh, central head core of the team as well. Um, you know, just in terms of just a friend's perspective, because they're also friends outside of, uh, you know, fighting together. They fight together, but they hang out together as well. Um, Adia, she is the tech officer. Uh, I wanted to kind of showcase a, uh, a woman of color, all right? Um, uh, you know, just a... a an African-American woman being a scientist. And that's another thing that uh, I don't think we see enough of in comics. We definitely don't see enough of it in sci-fi. So Adia is all about academia. She is, uh, she's actually a researcher um, when it comes to fighting these drones. She's actually researching their finds afterwards, after the battles, and uh, you know, kind of building up her knowledge base of what she can learn from these drones. And she gets really pumped up about all the new things that she can learn. She's uh, very passionate about her academics. Jocelyn is the pilot, and she's sort of the uh, youthful adrenaline junkie. But uh, she's the youngest member of the squad and probably the most impulsive. And uh, she kind of acts as like the youthful spirit, you know, kind of the uh, happy young spark that, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, we lose as we get older. And she's, uh, she's still very much got it. And the uh, last member is Casey, who is the gunner, and she is the overall tough chick. You know, she she doesn't take any guff from anyone. She doesn't take things too seriously. And, uh, you know, if, if you were to step to her, she, you know, you're going to have a fight on your hands. Yeah. You know, she, she's very ill-tempered. Oh, very much so, as uh, as proven in the War Bites. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you read the War, if you read War Bites before you read Chapter 1, you will get a strong feel of who Casey is and what she's all about. Even though it, you know, it takes place after battle, after a battle and it shouldn't be fun you know technically it shouldn't be funny because they've just went through you know a war per se but at the same time what she's going through is also kind of funny the way she, you know because she's basically asking for meds during this whole during this whole uh, war bites uh, prologue but you have to read it to, to check it out i don't, I don't want to spoil it spoil anything yeah I, I found it to be funny also at the same time like sad because you know no one should have to deal with something like that but no um, one should have to deal with something like that it, it, it's it's a little bit darwinian in her case because she she kind of brought it on herself so <laughs> that's kind of what makes it funny you know that 
you know, she acted like a goober and she gets injured in the process. I mean, that's kind of the thing with, uh, you know, hanging around of, uh, I, I've hung around a lot of military types in my time. And, you know, their sense of humor is is like like you wouldn't even imagine. You know, we imagine that everything is, you know, very serious and very staid in the military. And, you know, some of these guys, they can laugh at anything. They, I have heard some stories you would not even believe. But, uh, you know, they find a way to laugh at all sorts of, of really you know, good, bad, uh, indifferent, but even in painful events, they, they have, they definitely have a way of laughing. So I wanted to kind of capture that sort of thing in Valkyrie Squadron and just kind of lead off with, uh, with just kind of some weird black humor. Now, you also have, not only do you have the Valkyrie Squadron, but you also have the Odin Squadron. With the Odin, Odin Squadron, those are the guys, led by a person that likes to call everybody bro, um, Mr. Leon. Uh, oh, man, steals the, he definitely steals the show in that uh, prologue there. Uh, yeah, yeah, Leon is, I kind of wanted to have kind of a guy squadron to kind of play off the girl squadron because it's very easy for people to think that because you have a comic that's aimed at females that you're, uh, you hate men, you're a misandrist, you know, you're a bad person, and that's not true. I just kind of wanted to show that there's kind of this, uh, you know, there are guys that they, they get along with as well, and, and Leon is, uh, he's a, he's a character and a half, um, and, you know, he can be a little obnoxious, but we'll find out throughout the series that he really does have a heart of gold. He's just he's just a little awkward and goofy at first. Yeah, yeah very much so, especially and in the first chapter, because um, he's very protective of his brother, Trey. Yeah. He's extremely protective, but I've never in my life seen the use of the word bro <laughs> as much as I have in the first chapter of Valkyrie, Valkyrie Squadron. And it, it's, it's quite funny because I have known people in my lifetime to use the word bro excessively in in one sentence. And to actually like see that in a comic, I'm like, yeah, I, I know... <laughs> I was like, I know that person. And I, it made me like just do a face palm. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, well, Leon was kind of inspired by, um, I, I live in California. There's a lot of guys out here who are kind of really uber macho, not necessarily the military types. The military types aren't quite that bro-ish. Um, but, uh, but, you know, there just are a lot of kind of ultra macho types with uh, maybe not the greatest vocabulary, but they're, they're, they can be really interesting story fodder for sure, and uh, Leon's kind of inspired by that crowd. Really funny story about the prologue. You keep talking about war bites. The prologue almost didn't happen. Really? Um, oh my gosh! Yes. Um, I was first. I first wrote out uh, the first twelve pages of Valkyrie Squadron, chapter one, and uh, but I started working on the prologue. Actually, it was in the order of prologue, but then I had uh, a few pages of the chapter one done. So I showed my husband the first 12 pages of chapter one as a script. And he's like, oh, hey, yeah, this is really cool. You know, you got these girls are fighting, but, uh, you know, they, they got their, they, you know, they've got this kind of mystery thing that starts off in the first chapter. Yeah, this is really great. We're Lennox Sledgehammer, the reporter. He's introducing himself. And uh, my husband's like, oh, my God, what is this? I'm like, oh, well, you know, this is, this is the story. This is the start of the prologue. And he's like, wait, why are you wasting time with this this guy here? Who is this guy? Nobody cares about this guy. It's a story about girls. You got to do, you know, the, the girls thing. Right? You, 
you know, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, really kind of made me take a step back. And I was like, oh, no, am I, am I making a mistake here? Am I, you know, by going ahead with this prologue? And it made me take some serious pause. And I go to uh, ask one of my friends. Uh, she's a writer. And uh, she, you know, she, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I really should go along with this prologue. Because, you know, I had done a prologue for my previous webcomic. That worked out well. But um, I just... Uh, I was really kind of ambivalent about this one because, you know, I just wanted to change things and uh, make sure that I did things, you know, better than I had the first time around. Right. So she was like, you know, if there's something about this prologue that you cannot live without, that just develops the characters in a way or sets the setting in a way that you just absolutely have to have, then I say keep it. And then I thought about it and Leon's tirade in the middle of the prologue where he just says bro nonstop. <laughs> I remember laughing my, my my butt off when I'm writing this out. I'm like, oh my God, how many times do I can, can I get him to say bro in one sentence? And when I finally had that done, I was like, oh my God, I did some soul searching and I thought that tirade alone is the reason the prologue has to live. Yes. So you actually have to thank Leon and his crazy brodus for saving the prologue because Otherwise, it, it almost didn't happen. Yeah, he was completely out of control. And so I knew what to expect as soon as he showed up in chapter one. I, I, and I was ready for it. And and when the uh, the friend book page image showed up with like eight, 1,850 friends and then he followed with another bro tirade. Oh, <laughs> things that's there just like one little side character who you know brings some wackiness to the story because otherwise it could be you know it can get kind of you know depressing you're thinking of people oh my gosh you're disappearing mm -hmm. you know that, that gets that gets heavy you know yeah oh yeah definitely feel, you know that get really heavy so you know there are some things that i throw in for comic relief in the beginning well i mean but it balances it balances things out i mean even in the most serious of like sci-fi elements there's always a moment for like levity and a touch of humor a perfect example if you take a film like aliens you take a film like aliens which is a very you know hard that's like a hardcore sci-fi action film there are light moments of humor in the film not many not not many mind you but there are some moments of humor and brief moments of levity that allow you to breathe and not feel all suffocated like there's no hope whatsoever there, you know so there are those moments that say okay every you know it's all right everything's going to be okay we're, you know we're going to get through the problem and you know we're going to you know we're going to win when it's all said and done and I, you know i think that's good for like for like any form of sci-fi yes sci-fi can be completely bleak like a uh, dark city if it needs to be but also i'm sorry what you say Battlestar Galactica is another way, way, way dark series where the characters, like, never get a break. Yeah. Boy, yeah. I'm, it's probably going to take me, like, five more years to finish watching Battlestar Galactica because, like, I enjoy it, but also at the same time, because I'm always behind on everything, I can always tell my friends, a show could come out, and I'm lucky if I watch it, watch it in its entirety in a few years because it just, you know, we just stay so busy. And, um... But, like, that show gets so dark that I'm like, look, I need to smile right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and turn this off. And I'm come back in about a month and see if I can see if I can watch a little bit more. But it's a great show. I really do like it, though. Yeah, it's definitely great. But, yeah, you definitely need a palate cleanser afterwards. Yeah. I mean, 
so sad, so depressing. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I try, I try to throw uh, moments of just kind of levity and Valkyrie just to kind of keep it light and fun and, you know, just make sure that it's not super duper depressing. I mean, they, things are going to get real heavy in the next couple of chapters. I mean, they're already kind of sort of starting to slide downhill. Um, especially if you, you get to the end of chapter two, you start to realize that uh, somebody very close to Pris is afflicted with a very unfortunate illness. Mm. And uh, that's that's all I'm going to say about that to the readers. But, uh, you know, you, you start to get to stuff like that and things, the stuff's going to start to get real, all I'm going to say. Yes. Okay. No, no problem. That's all you got to say. That, that's all yeah. you got to say. If they, if they want to find out, they got to read the rest. You write this comic, you do the art. Uh, now I also take it you do the lettering and the coloring, correct? Oh, yeah. Okay. In fact, I'm actually coloring a page right now. I'm awesome at multitasking. <laughs> awesome. Now, because, like, I've seen you um, on Twitter post, like, the processes of, like, doing um, doing coloring. And, like, you would do, like, you had a process of how you would do a, a, co- a, um, a cover because your covers to set up your or your chapter breaks are different than the color than the uh, colors for the standard comic, and so you were like breaking down the processes um, for like doing colors and stuff like that, which I really found fascinating. But as far as your overall style goes, I, I really enjoyed like the line work. You know, I enjoyed like the background scenery, the char- you know the character reactions, the expressions. Everybody has their own identity identity within the within you know the art that's put on that's put on paper or put on the computer and i like that i one thing i noticed with like some web comics or just some comics in general there are artists as talented as they may be like all the characters look alike oh man that's a major pet peeve of mine yeah where i see a a comic that you know they have really great artwork um but yeah they don't know how to draw different kinds of faces you know right and uh, and that's always something that's bugged me. For me personally, drawing faces is kind of like it's it's a very important thing to my artwork. I feel like the artwork really gets set off when you have a particular face with your characters. And since I'm trying to portray a diverse cast, ethnically speaking, you know, I have to make sure that I capture you know different ethnicities, you know, looking alike. They're supposed to look in real life, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I try to capture a number of different faces, different shapes. Um, you know, coming back to Leon, you know, he's actually based on a guy I know, and there are certain distinctive things about this guy that I wanted to capture. You know, the fact that uh, he actually does have a, a bit of a scar above his eyebrow. Um, you know, that he's got black hair and he's kind of really a large jaw. I mean, the dude is not a bald jaw, and he's like that. He's like this kind of beefy dude. That's the sort of thing I wanted to capture. And you know, to contrast. You've got the character's younger brother, and he's uh, he's a much, you know, to contrast, much skinnier, twiggier guy. So uh, I thought that was a really uh, good artistic, uh, I guess, dichotomy. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yes. Or maybe contrast. I don't know. I guess dichotomy. Sure. Um, but, you know, I like to balance the different characters off of each other. Another interesting character for me to draw is uh, Casey, the, uh, the gunner, because she's a lot taller and a lot more boyish looking in terms of her body frame than the rest of the uh, the female fighters. So, you know, I like to make sure that I capture that kind of gawky boyish figure that she's got. That That's another thing that, uh, you know, I just love the diversity in the characters. I, lo- I just love that everybody kind of has their own identity and that's what makes the world so great. You know, our world is diverse. And, uh, you know, to kind of be able to portray that diversity in the comic is very meaningful to me. And not just diversity in terms of uh, character design, but also diversity in terms of emotions. Right. It, 
I, I, I put all my effort into drawing character facial expressions. That's, that's my bread and butter right there. Because the character doesn't look like they're acting the part, so to speak, then it really doesn't sell the scene. You know, certain humorous parts of uh, Valkyrie, they don't come off nearly as well if, uh, if, they're, if the character's faces are just bleh. They're just, you know, there. Right. But, uh, you know, if, if they have the right expression, just sell everything, then that really, you know, kind of sets off the, the delivery of the lines, so to speak. So uh, that, it's very important to me to get the characters just right. And I think in, in doing so, you like, you know, you you get those special moments or like those special looks of a character that define that, you know, officially define the look. Like, say, for instance, at the end of War Bites, when um, the journalist uh, Lennox like asks um, Pris a question of whether uh, when, when uh, Pris says, like, even if things even if things do look grim, we're, we're not going to win this war with uh, the droids if we don't have hope. And Lennox says, "Hope or blind faith," and it and it cuts to like a um, a panel, the, the final panel, and you see Pris like waving by to Lennox, but there's this like look on her face, this uh, you know this like stoic, you know look of confidence and hope, and she says, "You know, I hope with my eyes wide open and my weapons hot," and it's just the look on her face sells me on her as a character. And those moments like that, when I see that in comics, no matter what form of comics, whether it be print, digital, webcomic, whatever, moments like that are what sell me to read a comic. Well, then I've done my job. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> yes. And also, um, I noticed with the, uh, the characters' earpieces, they have the uh, the laser lights that look like a, like, I guess, like, I guess, is that the Valkyrie Squadron symbol or... <laughs> Well, yeah, it actually turned into a bit of a logo. That stems from some of the original concept art that I started doing for Valkyrie. Because when I got the idea, it was roughly, I want to say summer of 2010, I got the idea, hey, let me draw, you know, like a female action story, a you know, space story. Because, um, you know, I just kind of noticed that there was just not that many action comics for, for girls. Here's the actual story. Okay, it's really super short. My my sister and I were having a conversation on the phone, you know, talking, uh, catching up or whatnot. And she tells me that, uh, oh, you know, uh, um, my my husband, you know, she tells me, oh, her husband tried to take my niece to the comic book store to see if there's something that my niece could find. And I have been looking for, for years for comics to, to give it to my niece to, you know, get her to start appreciating comics as well. And, uh, and my sister says, you know, I couldn't, he says that uh, he wasn't able to find anything for her. And that just really hit me, you know? That just made me think, like, there is nothing for her, you know? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to fix that. Because I, I have the ability, I have the skills to put together a story and a comic and, uh, you know, have characters and have them interact and just bring something alive. That's something that, that's a skill that I've been able to build over the years. So I was going to fix that situation for my niece and anybody else out there who may be lacking for, you know, just a really good female action hero story. So I started drawing up some concepts. Um, they're, the concepts that I started drawing up, they're not quite as, uh, they're not quite the finals of what you see, but they're pretty close. I didn't go through too, much, too many iterations. But uh, for Adia, the tech officer, I wanted to have her look really, you know, technical, like have a lot of uh, kind of equipment hanging off of her because her deal is that she's all about electronic warfare. That's, that's kind of her thing. 
You know, she has a uh, disruptor. It stops the drones briefly, but it doesn't fry their own equipment. And she's the one able to control this uh, this ability. Also, she uh, has uh, advanced sensors on her armor. And I want to just make her armor look really, really techy. Yeah. So to that armor, I added this funky little orange wing on the side of her because it's they're supposed to be Valkyries. Get it? They have a wing on the side of their heads. Yep. But uh, I've decided to go with asymmetrical because that has a bit more of a futuristic look. So uh, so when I saw that, I was like, man, that's a really cool design, you know, with the, with the wing on the side of her head. Why did I get all those wings? <laughs> and uh, that kind of became sort of the, uh, the logo of the comic, that little wing. And I decided to, uh, when I designed the uh, logo of the comic, I wanted to incorporate that wing in with the, with the title logo. And that has uh, turned out pretty well for me. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a really good thing for marketing, you know, because I have a, a, a symbol, a logo that I can show people and say, hey, look, this is, you know, my comic. This is a picture that you can, it's a little pictogram you can associate with my comic. It's a logo. So, um, you know, it works on a, um, on a visual style level because, you know, it's distinctive. You don't see too many characters wings on the side of their heads, you know, little holographic electric wings. Although, give it time, <laughs> you know, we've got holographic Tupac. So, give it time. We may have hollow wings on the sides of our heads in no time. Yeah. Oh, I, I, so, future is live. <laughs> I still don't know how I feel about holographic Tupac. I, I yeah, I'm not sure, but... Look at the bright side. There's a possibility now that we could have our own Slimer from Ghostbusters. Well, if you, if you say it like that, then I can accept this then. Because I was just thinking about it a little while ago. Like, well, if you got holographic Tupac, that's weird and creepy because you're talking about a guy who died. But what if you, you know, what if it's a nice ghost, like a fun ghost, like Slimer? <laughs> so, so yeah. So so I'm thinking, you know, we'll be all right as long as we can have Slimer. Well, you know, somebody at Universal Studios right now is calling Sony up to see if they can get the rights to do like a Ghostbusters hologram type of ride slash game. You know, they're probably thinking of that right now. You think? It, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all nothing to think about it. And granted, all this is coming from a Tupac hologram at, at Coachella. But, um, and during the uh, 2008 election, we also had holograms on CNN, which, like, Star Wars style, which is really freaky. Um, but it, it, would, it would not surprise me if somebody would, like, make some type of, like, Ghostbusters ride or, like, live-action Ghostbusters-like game where you put a proton pack on, you have a, a holographic arena or holographic, like, area or zone, like, say, for instance, like a laser tag zone, and yeah, yeah. you got a team, you go bust some ghosts, you get the trap, the, like, the ghost trap, the proton packs, and everything. It would not surprise me if somebody came up with that. Oh, man. Future video games is looking crazy. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's mad crazy. I mean, it's already crazy with this like connect stuff. Even though people are complaining about the connect Star Wars because you can dance and connect Star Wars, I'm like, listen, you still get to be a rancor and throw stormtroopers. So why be mad if 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 Han Solo is going to bust a move at Cloud City? Just let him bust a move. You can skip that level. We can't always be serious about this stuff. But I digress. Star Wars nerds are very, very serious people. Oh, man. There's a movie I saw recently. It's called The People versus George Lucas. And it is, it's it's a sight and a half. Um, 
You know, it seems like they're very, very upset at George Lucas for, for the uh, prequel series. And, you know, a lot of people aren't very pleased with it. You know, and, and they, they say a lot of really mean things in this documentary. Yeah. But then at the end, they're like, oh, but can you please make some more Star Wars movies for us, George Lucas? And I'm like, whoa, that sounds like a really abusive relationship right there. I mean, it's it, it's something else. That That's all I can say. I don't even know if I can do it justice just talking about it. But, I mean, if you ever get the chance, you know, just rent it and see it, you're like, whoa, these Star Wars fans are... Um, they're, they are intense. Yeah, they, they are. They can get a, they can they can get a tag cray cray. You have over, if you include, let's see, if you include covers and additional images, you have over a hundred pages. A Valkyrie Squadron on the internet right now. And well, that, inc- that includes the covers and the six uh, Christmas strips that I did. Okay. It, it was Christmas. I was feeling in. I was feeling in the spirit. You know, I, I thought I'd have some fun. <laughs> now, now, do you feel uh, with Valkyrie Squadron where you're taking it? Is it something that has, like, say, for instance, like an indefinite life, or do you have like a set storyline, or like multitudes of storylines, or are you taking this uh, series like just one strip at a time? Oh no, no, no! For this series, you got to plan out real, real, um, really far. Um, I've actually started outlining for chapter four because we just started chapter three. Um, I'm probably even too late to start uh, outlining chapter four, but, uh, you know, just starting on the script. Valkyrie Squadron is something that requires a lot of planning out because otherwise all of the the plot elements are not going to come together if you just plan it strip by strip. Mm -hmm. This isn't like a a -a gag-a-day strip where you can just, you know, come with your ideas as you go along. You know, there's just a lot. There are way too many plot developments to to treat it like that. So um, I have... uh, all of chapter three script is done. Um, I have, uh, let's see, uh, like I said, I started outlining for chapter four. We've got a few pages in uh, in buffer, but uh, as far as the planning out goes, yeah, it's it's planned out like a whole chapter at a time. Uh, I even had like a kind of a weird little crisis where I had to plan out, where I had to just do a whole lot of rewrites on chapter three just to make sure that it was just so. You know, some, um, the, the set length of Valkyrie Squadron is looking like it's going to be a total of eight chapters. I, I mean, it's a great series and everything, but I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I tell the story, I get my point across. If I want to stick with it later, then I can. You know, that's that's kind of how I treat my series, that, uh, you know, I have the option to expand if I want to, but sometimes it's better to, to move on because I do have other ideas I want to explore. So, um, so like I said, Valkyrie is set for eight total chapters, cool. and right now we just started chapter three, or I just started chapter three. There's kind of no we. <laughs> okay, I started drawing it. You guys started reading it. There you go. Here we go. Notice on your Twitter feed, sometimes you'll bring up movies that you just watched on instant streaming on Netflix. Some of them are like, you know, just catch my eye because of the concepts, because they just sound so crazy. You recently watched a movie called Black Lightning, and I'm not talking, we're not talking about the DC uh, Jefferson Pierce Black Lightning. You were talking about, I think, about a Russian film that deals with a flying car. Can you give me some insight on this? Black Lightning, man, that was actually back in Christmas. Okay, Black Lightning, or as they say in Russian, Chornaya Molnia, 
uh, it, it's basically the Spider-Man movie from 2002. It's basically the Spider-Man movie from 2002, except you take wacky spider powers and replace it with a flying car. <laughs> I swear, this is for real. And uh, and they're playing it totally straight too. It's not like it's it's a wacky flying car like uh, what was that flying car movie that Disney did? Herbie? No, Herbie wasn't the flying car. Oh, you're talking, there was a, didn't they use like Flubber to make the car fly? I can't remember. Uh, I cannot remember for the life. You're right. It was Flubber. Flubber was the thing that used they used to make the car fly. That's right. So you know, it wasn't like a wacky movie. It was just a straight up action movie, but with a flying car. And. Um, and it is it is a sight to behold. It's um, it's hmm. Let's see. I mean, you have a bad guy. You have the guy he falls in love with this girl in his school, but he thinks that she's only going to like him if he has money. So, in order to go earn money, he starts uh, delivering flowers with this local delivery service. Well, he happens to luck into this car that has this flight engine on it. And he realizes that he can make his deliveries a lot faster when he activates this flight, um, I guess, engine on this car. And, uh, you know, there's some bad guys who go, want the car as well because they're going to use the car to um, they're going to use the technology in the engine to drill under Moscow to get it a bunch of diamonds because I don't know. This plot was all over the place. <laughs> I see. That is a is a treasure trove of all kinds of really 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 bizarre movies especially if you get into bollywood oh well i've seen some crazy sci-fi bollywood movies and it's not even just any it just seems like everything in bollywood is just really 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 out there i mean it's fun but it's so out there (laughs) man you really don't have to work hard to find a really just crazy movie out there on Netflix if it's Bollywood. You just don't have to work that hard. True, true. And and I thank you for breaking down Black Lightning to me because, see, I've heard many, many things about it from friends of mine and I forgot all about it. And then when I saw you post that on Twitter, I said, I need to watch this sometime because this just sounds crazy. But I needed just a little bit of like verification and explanation so I know what I'm getting into before I watch it. Yeah, long story short, it's basically the Spider-Man movie, except with a flying car instead of spider powers. That's it. <laughs> that's the real that's the two second summary. Okay, cool. Before you go, once again, where they can read Valkyrie Squadron is at ValkyrieSquadron.com. And how many times does it update a week? Is it once a week, twice a week, or? It updates twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. All right. So, wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to have a brand new spanking page sitting on there on uh, on your interwebs. But if you're new to the story, then you have 100 pages worth of stuff to catch up on. So, you know, if you've got some time to kill, then, yay, by all means, stop by and, uh, you know, get entertained. Also, I want to point out that this is an all-ages story, you know, so it's safe for work. You can, if you want to, uh, you know, read it on your job. I'm not saying your co- your job's going to let you read comics all day, but if you got, like, an extra couple of minutes, you know, some people, some folks do that. I'm, com- I'm completely guilty of that. Um, you know, so uh, you can read it and nobody's going to give you any guff about it. Um, there's re- all the swearing is all in comic book symbols. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that. There's, you know, the violence is, well, I mean, you're fighting robots and machines. I mean, you really don't see anything more violent than like office space, you know, mm-hmm. where they beat up a fax machine, <laughs> you know, that's about the extent of the violence. And, uh, and the, the, 
if there's any kind of like sexual content, there's like some, like a small romance scene in chapter one, but it's completely tame. I promise you. So yeah. Um, it's, it's good for you to watch, uh, read and uh, share with others, you know? So by all means, go ahead and take a gander. Two, well, two last things. One, if you can, um, like, if you have any other projects that you're currently working on this time that you can talk about, uh, cool. And the other, only other thing I forgot to ask, um, who are your inspirations art-wise? Art-wise? Ah, let's see. Well, I read a lot of manga when I was a kid because, uh, you know, manga was a thing that I could relate to when I was maybe 13, 14, um, especially when Sailor Moon hit the United States. Oh, man. So, um, you know, a manga is a um, is an inspiration. Uh, let's see who else. I really, really love Amanda Connor's work. I think her work is super great. Uh, let's see who else. Um, oh, my gosh. There's just so many artists out there. Rebecca Gunter is also really amazing. I, I try to uh, try to get tips from a guy. His name is Michael Sexton. He does the webcomic Everblue. He, he does the painting that he does for his comic is just unparalleled. I've never seen anything so clean and pretty and gorgeous. Um, I mean, there's just so many art, you know, artistic greats out there. I, I, I would be here all day. As far as additional projects go, what other projects that you can currently talk about are you working on at this, at this time? Okay. Well, um, there's a, I guess there are two. Well, actually there's three. I'm, I'm a horribly busy person. Wow. Um, first project that I work on is, it's actually the other webcomic that I work on. It's a hard graft. It's a, a British uh, espionage comic. It's about a, uh, an American photojournalist who gets kidnapped in Afghanistan. And uh, it's about a British uh, mercenary who saves her. And, uh, you know, kind of all the you know, really crazy misadventures that get into that. That's slightly for more mature audiences. So if you are, um, you know, if you're sensitive to language or something like that, or maybe some violence, then yeah, maybe it may not be for you. But if you are interested in something that's kind of on the lines of Queen and Country or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, then that's that's a pretty cool webcomic. Um, I, I only do the artwork for that, though. I don't do the writing. That, that's uh, written by Peter Vine. Uh, another project that I'm working on is uh, for Comics Tribe out back east, and uh, they uh, have this uh, anthology that they're going to be doing for their property, The Red Ten, and this is going to be the Oxymoron anthology, and I've been announced as uh, one of the artists, and I'm going to be working on kind of this fun Christmas-type story, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to that. And finally, there is a super secret project I cannot talk about, but I want to just kind of let you guys know that there is something coming on the horizon. It's very exciting. And, um, and once it does drop, I probably won't shut up about it. Um, <laughs> it's it's going it's, it's to be really, really big. Um, or at least, you know, for me, personally speaking, as a, as a, as a personal challenge, this is just going to be humongous. So, um, so just keep your ears to the rails. That's all I got to tell you. Um, other than that, other than that, I guess I can kind of sort of take a break in between, you know, setting up Valkyrie and all the other three projects I do. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Jules, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about Valkyrie Squadron and informing me about Black Lightning and all the other things. And continue best to you. And uh, once again, to read Valkyrie Squadron, go to ValkyrieSquadron.com. Excellent. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Who 
before we get to our next interview with webcomic creator and artist Kenny Kyle, there are a couple things I wanted to wrap to y'all about. First thing, I wanted to talk to you about some of the convention experiences I've had uh, this year. We started off earlier this year at the Lexington Comic Con um, in my hometown. It's a great show, great turnout, sold a lot of Action Lab books, met a lot of great people. I mean, it was like, imagine... Lexington Comic Con is is like this. Imagine if Wizard World had its shit together and had a great balance of comic artists, vendors, uh, comic creators, and entertainers. And mixed it all up and just sold it to the best of your abilities and not half-ass it. That is what the Lexington Comic Con is. It was a fantastic show. Uh, you know, next year it's going to be a two-day show. This year it was a one-day show. Uh, had close to five thousand people come through at the Lexington Convention Center, and it was just a wonderful time. I, you know, we found out at the show that um, between myself and John Carroll, who helped me uh, sell books and T-shirts and whatnot, uh, Martheus Wade, uh, creator of Jetta Tales of the Toshigawa, and a possible future action, another future action lab project. Um, we were all together at one, like in one area, just like, you know, selling our wares and everything. And it was a fantastic time. It's a great show. And, you know, we found out that a lot of people knew of us from the internet or from local comic book shops um, in my neighborhood. It was just a really great feeling. The range of people that bought our books were anywhere from kids to adults, male, female. It was literally off the charts. So it was a great day. And like I said before, the show went so well. Lexington Comic Con will now become a two-day show next year um, on St. Patty's Day weekend, if uh, memory serves me right. So I definitely will be back there next year along with Martheus. And so we're going to have a great show next year, and we're looking forward to that. I also did a free comic book day event once again myself and Martheus Way. We teamed up again. We hit up collectibles, etc. in Lexington, Kentucky and did a free comic book day event with uh, some of the Boku Pop people, uh, artist Tressa Bowling, artist Justin Stewart, and also a couple other creators as well. It was great. Free comic book day is kind of crazy. This is the first time I've ever participated in a free comic book day event. Now, I've been to stores that have had it, and I'll stop by, pick up a book or two, you know, drop a couple of dollars down for the store. But, you know, you support the stores however you can, especially when you get stuff free. But this is the first time I've ever been a part of a free comic book day event. Once again, I had, you know, I had Action Lab stuff out to the fullest. Martheus had his stuff out. And it was jam-packed from the time the store opened, which I want to say was like 10 o'clock, till like 5 p.m. You could not move. You could not breathe. It was that crazy. You know, people dressed up in costumes, people just like grabbing books, kids of all ages, adults, you name it. They were everywhere. Insane. Never seen anything like this before in my entire life. And it was a great experience. Once again, wonderful time. Absolutely wonderful time. I got to give props to Collectibles, etc. One, for allowing us to be there and partake in the event and for also being great supporters of Action Lab. So, you know, and everything Martheus does and everything I do. It was great. Loved every every last minute of it. Now, the last show that I was recently a part of took place on May the 12th. That was Summit City Comic Con in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, Summit City Comic Con is a show that is strictly about artists, creators, and and smaller publishers. Yeah, and there's some bigger publishers there too, but it's all about comics, art, and community. And there's a couple of vendors. Once again, 
batting three for three this year with shows because that was a fantastic show as well. And it was a fantastic show for a few reasons. Uh, one, table placement was great. Um, you know, the balance between, you know, artists and creators and like vendors and stuff was all spread out evenly and equally. I, you know, had the opportunity to talk with cats like Mike Norton, uh, Gabriel Hardman, uh, Mason Easley, uh, Dean Stahl, uh, Dave Wachter. You just, being able to do that is like really, really cool. I mean, I mean, some of these people I've known for years, but like some I've talked to either via Twitter or via this podcast and to actually meet them face to face and talk to them and have just straight up conversations that have absolutely nothing to do with comics is really nice. It's just refreshing, actually. And the row that I was located in, my table to the right of me, um, was art, was artist by the name of Rusty Shackles, who's done some artwork for Action Lab. As a matter of fact, he did the cover for Action Lab Confidential, which you can download for free on uh, the ActionLabComics.com website. It's a 200-plus page comic book that has extended previews of every single book we've published within the past year for free. Um, Rusty uh, did the comic did the uh, did the comic cover for that, and it's a beautiful job. And Rusty's table was right next to mine. I got to rap with Rusty for a little bit, and that was cool. And right next to Rusty was artist Uko Smith, who is extremely talented and amazing. And to the left of me, and I was blown away by this completely because I did not know that this guy was going to be here. Um, Jeff Darrow. And Jeff Darrow, some of you may know of Jeff Darrow. If you remember the the, car- the cartoon that used to be on Fox Kids a long time ago, uh, Big Guy and Rusty the Robot, um, you know, he helped create, co-create Big Guy and Rusty the Robot. There, you know, there were some comic books, you know, that came out way before uh, the actual cartoon took place. He also was the artist on Hard Boiled, and he was also the, you know, artist on Shaolin Cowboy. Fantastic artist. And if memory serves me right, he also... Uh, worked on uh, conceptual drawings for The Matrix and for other projects as well. I get like kind of tongue-tied around people like Jeff Darrow because there's no way I could ever create something as great or as vast as he ha- or as he has. At least I feel that way. And I'm worried that like I might say something stupid or offend him. But you know what? He is one of the nicest people I have ever met in my entire life. Seriously, I just took a moment out. I said who I was. I told him that I like, you know, that I loved his art and I love, you know, what he does and everything. And he was just really humble. He's very, you know, honest. You know, we talked for like a moment or two and then like, you know, we're all busy doing our thing for a while. Toward the end of the show, we had a conversation. We just, just started just talking. Once again, it was non-comics talk. And like, you know, he mentioned Kickstarter and I told him some of the things I know about Kickstarter and my experiences with it. And, and then we just started talking about like real life stuff. This was the first show where, for the first time in a long time, I actually just felt like a human being. And and what I mean by that is, is that, and and you know, for those you know, don't take it personal when I say this, but you constant, you're constantly on this grind, doing what you got to do to represent. Um, like I say, for for me, represent Action Lab and show people and prove to people that what you have as far as the books and the quality and all this stuff is just as great, if not better, than other publishers. And you're constantly pushing, 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 pushing. And sometimes, you know, you don't just get to be yourself. You know, you're you're being the pitch man, you're being the front man, you're being the hype man. And you don't really just, that whole human element, yeah, you're doing a lot of interaction, but the human elements, element sometimes gets taken away from you. But for the first time in a while, at that show, just talking with creators, I felt 
human again. You know what I mean? Like we just talked about real shit. I'm not saying that comics, you know, aren't real shit. I mean, it's great. It's, it's you know, it's you know, it's fantasy. It's you know, it's everything that you could ever want it to be. But for that one moment at a show, I felt human again. And it was a really wonderful feeling to me. And to be able to talk with Jeff Darrow about real stuff, like he talked about his his experiences overseas and you know, he asked me how I felt about being, you know, a black man in an industry that's predominantly run by white people. And it was just an honest, heartfelt talk. And I love that. And I was, you know, and I just have so much respect for him for just having this real talk. And I'll, I'll never forget that. It, it, and it means so much to me. These three shows that I've been able to um, be a part of this year have been a wonderful experience for me. thing I wanted to rap to you about I got an email a few weeks ago and person like listens to the podcast enjoys the podcast he asked me where did the nickname Stan Leroy come from where did the nickname Baracko Comics come from and for those that don't know let me break it down and I'll also answer answer this this question this email um, the nickname Stan Leroy came from a long time ago when I was just self-publishing books under the banner of my own banner called PKD Media. Um, Stan Leroy was just a nickname that, if I remember right, Dave DeWanch and Peter Rios from Comic Geek Speak came up with because of the way I just went out and hustled, you know, hustled these independent books. You know, I stood behind them. I got I got on the bullhorn. I tried to get, you know, get in touch with as many people as possible. Hey, check this out. This is what I'm doing. I hope you dig it. That whole Stan Lee love of comics thing that Stan does kind of got mixed in with what, you know, with what I do. So the nickname instead of Stan Lee, it's the black version of Stan Leroy. And, you know, it's funny. It's cute. You know, and I, and I ran with it. I, I ran with it because it was like a personality to go on top of what I was trying to do. When things continued to kind of pick up a little bit with PKD Media, we started to do a little bit more. The nickname, instead of like Barack Obama, somebody had mentioned Barack Comics. And so they were like, oh, you should run with, you can run with that too. So I did. I took it and I ran with it. As a matter of fact, if you listen to older episodes of the PKD Black Box, sometimes I'll say, you know, this is blah, 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 hosted by me, a.k.a. Stan Leroy, a.k.a. Barack Comics. So like I ran with these nicknames because it was just a part of what I did and it was it was fun to do and then on top of that there were other nicknames too when I was composing music my nickname was Sean Silverstar and it was Sean spelled S-E-A-N instead of S-H-A-W-N and there are all these different aliases for all these different things that I did and then moving into Action Lab and putting PKD Media Comics stuff to the side yeah the Stan Leroy name was still around the Barack Comics name was still around you know the quote unquote president uh, as it were um, the president of comics or, what, or whatever you know I you know, ran with that joke about it and it's, it's cool it's fun it's cute but it, I kind of came to like a realization not too long ago and I guess you could call this like release therapy I think the reason why like I have stuck behind those nicknames for so long is because for like the longest time, it was something that I could hide behind or use as a shield to protect myself. And what I, and what I mean from that is, is that 
trying to explain to people that making comics is one of the greatest and one of the most difficult things that you could ever do in life. Yes, I know there are more difficult things like, you know, like, you know, trust me, there are way more difficult things that you could probably do, whether it be engineering, um, you know, uh, aeronautics. Yes, it's there are a lot of things out there. So, but what I'm trying to say is that creating comics isn't an easy feat either. And a lot of people think it's easy and it's not, but all of the personal failures that I had with like making PKD media comics, yeah, there were some successes, but there were a lot of failures too. I could take all those failures and like kind of just like push them to the side and hide from and hide behind them because I had like Stan Leroy over here representing or Morocco comics over here representing, or sometimes Sean Silverstar over here representing. But all those three characters, all the, all these aliases and nicknames that I have, they weren't me. They are a part of me, but they were not me. And it's taken me a few years in doing this as far as making comics and creating entertainment to find out who the fuck I am. And I came to that realization a couple weeks ago. So the nicknames are cool. They're fine, but they're not who I am. And I understand that now. I get it. It's just it's just a it's just that a piece that, you know, that's it's just the name. It's not me. It's, you know, it's a piece of me that can be used every now and then, but it's not me. It's just a nickname. You know, Sean Pryor is the guy that helps run Action Lab. Sean Pryor is the guy that puts together the PKD Black Box. Sean Pryor is the guy that has all these other ideas outside of comics lined up for 2013, 2014. You know, I, you know, there's no more hiding behind stuff. You know, I know, I know who I am now as far as creating me you know creating media creating comics i know who i am as a person you know what i mean because sometimes you can get lost in this shit and that's just real talk you can get so lost in this stuff i'm not that dude that comes carting a big ass ego you know i stay humble because you know you could go from you could go from the top to the bottom or you could stay at the bottom forever and slowly work your way to the top and get knocked the fuck out in a heartbeat the nicknames are cool but it's not who I am. And so, like, I mean, but, like, if you want to call me Stan Leroy, you want to call me Baracko Comics, that's cool. But, you know, if you see me, holler at me. Just say, hey, what's up, Sean? Give me a handshake, and we cool. But if you want to say Baracko Comics or Mr. President, that's cool, too. And, and you know, and I can laugh about it. Trust me. But, you know, I, I get and I know who I am now. And I know what I have to do in order to continue to better myself as a creator, as a media entrepreneur, and as a human being. I just wanted to say that that's kind of like my Real Talk release therapy section uh, for this episode. So, so yeah, I just wanted to get that off my chest. And I think I'm going to do this a little, bit, a little more often too because actually, for the first time in a while, I've been getting emails. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I think I'm going to answer these emails and also drop some Real Talk in every now and then too. So I uh, hope you enjoy that. But listen... We are going to get to the interview uh, that I recently did with webcomic creator and artist Kenny Kyle. So I really hope you enjoy this interview with Kenny Kyle. And uh, here we go. I'm on the line right now with a man who has given us the comic Tales to Suffice. He has also given us the hot webcomic Ferrari Boys, F.E. 
dot r dot r dot a dot r dot i b o y z you can find ferrari boys at ferrari boys with a z dot tales to suffice dot com it's you know what i can't you know i'm gonna let this man who's on the line right now explain to you the power of ferrari boys and everything else he does he is an artist he is a creator he is a writer he is a man of many talents ladies and gentlemen the one and only kenny kyle kenny how you doing i'm doing great man how are you i'm doing fantastic great to have you on the show man oh thanks for having me yeah um a few a few months ago uh, my friend julian lytle got me hip to a webcomic called ferrari boys ferrari boys is like this action helmer i it's it's funny it's got comedy it's got action it's just got some of the craziest shit i've ever seen in a, in a comic but i'm gonna let you explain to the people because you can explain you can explain it to them better than i can what ferrari boys is all about all right cool okay so the ferrari boys uh in real life is southern rap superstars walk a flock of flame and gucci Mane. Those are their names. Those are not names I made up for them. Those are their actual real rap names. They 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 formed a group called the Ferrari Boys. Yeah, it's just a southern rap group. But what I did was, and I don't know why I did this. Maybe we'll figure that out together. But I said, something just tickled me so much about them, about Ferrari Boys, about their music, that I decided, what if the Ferrari Boys starred in their own low-budget Saturday morning cartoon? <laughs> <laughs> and so you know instead of uh you know doing the the, the typical rap stuff uh aside from that what my comic gets into is their 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 other profession uh which is uh saving the world from various threats uh in the in the first adventure uh there's a giant asteroid heading for earth and the president finds out about this and he alerts the ferrari boys and lists their help in saving the world and it just kind of spirals out of control from there. Yes, and there's a lot of things that sp- spiral out of control as this webcomic goes along. <laughs> um, what cracks me up are when I'm, when I'm reading when I'm reading this webcomic, there are moments where the president picks up a Ferrari phone. Yes. Yeah, how Batman had the bat phone, the uh, the commissioner had the bat phone, the president has a Ferrari phone. It literally is a Ferrari with a phone cord coming out of it. First yeah. time first time I saw that, I lost it. Yeah, the cord the cord is essential. <laughs> so, no, but it's it's those little intricacies in the webcomic along with uh, characters like, you know, you have the president. You also have uh, Joe Biden show up like the crazy drunk uncle. Um, <laughs> you have, you know, you have a talking ape and these just crazy adventures. And even um, Mr. Uh, Drake shows up for a moment. Uh, there's just all these crazy things. And you know you explain the reason why you decided to do to do this comic when you started doing it and it started coming out you know every, coming out every week what was the like original or, or what was the beginning as far as feedback goes what was the feedback that you got in the beginning uh the uh the comics at first just existed on my hard drive it was just kind of like i was just working really late nights kind of stressed out i needed some sort of release so i went into like a like a fugue state, like that dude on Breaking Bad, and just kind of started making these comics. I showed it to some friends, and they urged me to put them online. And I was like, I don't know, this is pretty weird. Um, but uh, so I, I had some good feedback from them, and then uh, I, I just put them up. And to be honest, I mean, they, you know, a, a few a few close people to me, you know, who I know like the music, 
you know, when Julian caught on, he was real encouraging too. I just kind of put them out and so often, you know, you put stuff out there and you kind of, you get so caught up in the feedback that you just, that detracts your focus from what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So what I loved about this comic was like, I just said, I'm not going to care. You know, I'm not going to even read comments that come on the blog. I'm just going to put it out there and not really listen. But it seemed to get some good response. Like it, it blew up on Tumblr uh, like halfway through, like somebody posted it and it got like, I don't know, like 1500 notes, which is crazy for me. I posted it on my Tumblr, but I only got three notes. But this <laughs> this guy posted it and he linked to it and it seemed to really pick up from there. And uh, yeah, people, it's like, it's they're not like the most well-known rap duo you know what i mean but uh and you don't really the the joke of the comic is that it really it's them but it really has nothing to do with them Mm -hmm. but then but then every once in a while it references them in a very specific way so i kind of had fun with what i used from real life and then what i just totally came out of the ether with i didn't really pay too much attention but it seemed like there was a narrow group of people whoever got it loved it and then and the people who didn't get it, I didn't really hear from either way. So I'm going to say positive reaction. And, you know, I, ne- I never had seen, like, as far as a comic on the internet goes or or a lot of other comics do something like this on a consistent basis. Normally with something like Ferrari boys, it would be like, just like a, it would be like a one page web comic or like a strip somewhere in a random anthology book just for, you know, just for shits and giggles. But this is something that was continuing and you finished your first whole story arc and you've collected the, um, you know, the first batch of stories into, um, into a collected piece that's now available for sale. It is, it is indeed. And, Free, free Gucci Mane tattoo while supplies last. <laughs> Burr. <laughs> Burr. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but they're, they're Gucci. No, nothing. I'm just, I should, I should have like, my Gucci Mane soundboard up and we can just drop. Can we, can we drop like some ad libs in this interview? Oh, if you, if you want to, please feel free. Or, or, <laughs> or if you have the, or if you have the sound bites, I will just drop them in the All episode right. on purpose. We'll fix that in post. That would be awesome. <laughs> but, Squad. <laughs> I the thing that the thing that got me most, and I think it was strip number five or episode five, which was called "Haters Gonna Hate," mm-hmm. where an asteroid is heading straight towards Earth, and Joe Biden has been tweeting to the world that this asteroid is heading toward the Earth. He's all hyped because he says Questlove just retweeted retweeted my shit, and the president's like, "Listen, Joe, this is serious." And, you know, Joe Biden's like, trending topics, here I come. And he's like, dude, dude, follower count just cleared a milli. Just blew right past that motherfucker. That shit, that's that's the stuff like that that just cracks me up because that's, I just don't expect that. You know what I mean? I I just don't expect that. It's just so off the wall. And it really has absolutely nothing to do with the adventures of Waka and Gucci but then again, like you said, what Waka and Gucci are doing really has no relevance to the actual story at all, either in subspots. So it's just, it's just like a whole complete, just ball of fun. And yeah, oh, yeah, thank you. 
No, I was just gonna say like I, I when I go into it, I don't really. I mean, it was it was like a freestyle. It was it, it was like Gucci, Gucci Mane, uh, no pad, no pencil. Uh, if if ever there were an honest album title, by the way, hmm. Gucci Mane, no pad, no pencil. Like True. we like we like we had any illusions that he was writing this stuff down. But uh, <laughs> anyway, what I'm what I'm getting at is that like you know stuff like that. It's like it's just like free association or just like just off the top of the head. And it's it's like it's just as fun to write. I mean, I love when people pick up on those little things because just I'm just making it up as I go, and it's just loose and wild. And yeah. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's always fun. When did you first begin working on your craft? Oh well, uh, you make it sound so serious. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say a couple weeks ago, if you phrase it that way. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I got the same standard story a lot of people do. You know, grew up drawing constantly, but I never really was never too serious about it. I kind of just dropped comics and drawing for almost a decade, like high school to college that area. Um, but I did major in graphic design. I was you know pretty serious about that i was kind of working in print and advertising and things of that nature and it was cool but as time went on i started thinking more about the things that i wanted to do and so probably around 2006 is when i started drawing again with ambitions of just making a comic just to see if i could do it and then that led to tell us to suffice and when that first issue came out that was just so cool to me that I had a comic in comic shops and that I was able to like, you know, pitch to a publisher and get it out there. So when that came out around 2008, that's probably when I got like serious about pursuing this as a career, you could say. As far as like additional, like, um, like inspirations, are there any type, like any, any artists or just creators in general that um, have inspired you along the way? I, I mean, constantly, man. I mean, I'm, everything I see is inspiration one way or the other. I, I definitely grew up, you know, I was, a, I was a 90s kid, so I was definitely growing up on those big, those big image names. But at the same time, I was reading, like, my dad's old comics. So, I, you know, I'd have, like, old, old Mad Magazines, and I'd have, like, old Silver Age DC comics. But then I was also reading, you know, Uncanny X-Men you know all, all all the mutant books big time marvel marvel head and then uh, and then when i got back into comics later as an adult i started discovering like the indie stuff like that you know daniel clouds and uh, mm-hmm. some some of the stuff of that along those lines so yeah man we could be here all day if i got into that i i just have a just an ever-growing list of artists that have inspired me that i you know try to take something from you not only do Ferrari Boys, but you've also done a, a, a slew of other comics, including Tales to Suffice, which was actually the first time I became familiar with your work. Um, I had ordered it, you know, through you know via previews, uh, you know, a few years ago. Got my copy, read it, thought it was real funny, got excited about it, and um, and I kept, you know, I was like, okay, you know, when's the solicit for the next one? When's the next one showing up? The direct market, and sometimes things don't go the way we want them to go. But that's okay because, you know, a while later, I, you know, I see Ferrari boys and lo and behold, I'm like, oh, that's the dude that did Tales to Suffice. So I got my Kenny Kyle fix again. 
<laughs> and you know, and I was real happy about that. But the whole thing is, I think what a lot of people may not understand or know, uh, people that listen to the show, you not only do you know Ferrari Boys, which is a certain style, but you do you've done like a lot of other comics, like uh, the Red Adam, uh, Tales to Suffice, the Freak Out Zone, all type all types of stuff. Would you like to talk about some of your other uh, projects that you've done on top of Ferrari Boys? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, Tales to Suffice. After that first issue, I was I was finishing up the second issue when Diamond changed their their policies as far as like how much you had to sell to get in their catalog. Hmm. Like that press release came out as I was finished getting my print, my print files ready for the printer for the second issue. So, but that was a good experience because I just kept I just kept drawing the comic and then eventually I did a Kickstarter for like a big collection of Tales to Suffice. So I was able to put like three issues of material into one big book um, that way, and I just self published that. And uh, since then, I've just been on a real big, big like DIY kick, just like drawing my own stuff and kicking it out there I, you know i use the tells to suffice website to put out any new tells to suffice material the red adam the freak out zone all that stuff that kind of has an old school comic flavor fits under the tells to suffice umbrella i've recently started doing work for mad magazine what else am i working on i got a couple collaborative projects in the works right now and i'm trying to get a graphic novel serialized on the web by the end of the summer. You are you are working it. I'm trying. Now, as far as working with Mad, what's that experience been like? It's it's awesome. You know, like I mentioned them as an influence earlier. Like I, I I grew up reading them. I had a subscription. It's just crazy. I still I still can't get over it. I was, you know, sending them some stuff today, and I just like every time I just can't believe that I you know I got linked up with them. Um, it's it's really cool, man. It's really it's it's a different kind of thing. It's uh, there's a, there's a cool tradition there, and uh, it's 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 a lot of pressure to live up to that but I, I love the challenge on the tales of suffice website and, and this and this character is also shown has also shown his face in the tales to suffice comic who is mort finkelman mort, <laughs> mort finkelman is kind of like a uh, well he's the uh, he's the editor in chief of finkelman publications that puts out tales to suffice in sort of this like you know fourth wall bubble i have it in he's sort of a stan lee meets pt barnum type of guy who uh he comes in he introduces each issue he answers letters in the letters page he takes credit for all the work <laughs> he skips town when things go wrong he's sort of my he's sort of my persona that i could project that larger than life uh silver age comic voice because you know i don't i don't talk or act like that so i kind of had to filter that through something else so mort finkelman is kind of the mindset I get into when I'm drawing Tales to Suffice. What I've noticed in, in reading some of the comics uh, that are also on your website, like the Red Adam, I really like the Red Adam, and it really comes off as a, um, like, say, for instance, like, there was this comic called Twilight Guardian that was released by Top Cow um, a while ago, but, like, what I like about Red Adam is that, once again, it's, I, th I think it's a better, it's a satire as opposed to, like, Twilight Guardian. It's not a compare-contrast 
But like with Twilight Guardian, it's more of like this whole inner psyche of somebody wanting to become a superhero but really internally that person is that person that wants to be a superhero it's not that that person is a bad person but it, but that but that lead character is just a touched disturbed and pulled <laughs> and pulled out of reality whereas the red adam the whole thing is satirical and this guy really wants to be a superhero but he doesn't really want to do anything yeah i mean it was like i i just kind of had that I asked myself the question that all comic fans do. What if I were a superhero? And I just decided to be as blunt and honest as I could. And I just kind of, well, okay, I'd be self-conscious about the uniform. Uh, I probably would fall asleep on my couch waiting to go out on patrol. <laughs> in, his, in his second adventure, he actually gets out of the house. But the whole problem with fighting crime is first you have to find crime. And he didn't know where crime happened. In the comics, there's always a convenient alley where someone's getting mugged. But, you know, he, he, he didn't know where that was going down. So, And then he decided he didn't really want to be where it was going down in the first place. And it's just, it's, it's just the most realistic take on a superhero that I could think of. Uh, just what would happen if a regular dude donned a mask and tights and uh, tried to hit the streets. You know, I keep I keep awaiting like the next installment of the Red Adam. And like I said, it that's that's the one thing I think I've enjoyed most about your site is just that diverse line of material. And there also in that diverse line of material, there's also a diverse line of art styles as well. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that I think that's a great thing. Cool. Thank you. the twitters um when that, during twitter yes yes big shout out to twitter because if it wasn't for twitter i wouldn't have been able to reach out to, to kenny kyle and also if it wasn't for twitter we wouldn't be able to talk about obscure things that only <laughs> we and only we on this call would ever talk about um such as the theme song to the cartoon cops oh my god yes I'm tell you something. You hit it on the head. What happened was, uh, what happened was during the day, I had um, posted. Uh, I had posted. I guess like yeah, I, I posted a post about and, and had an episode of Bucky O'Hare on it, mm-hmm. a cartoon I completely forgot about. <laughs> I yes. mean, completely. I mean, it had a short. It had a short life as a comic book. Um, Julian reminded me that it had the bomb ass Konami of uh, arcade game, which was true. Because, oh, that's right, yeah. Because that's when Konami was was running the gambit, and they said if anybody's got licensed property, we can make a four player arcade game on it and make it the shit. Um, uh-huh. Whether it be X Men, Children of the Atom, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, let's see, Bucky O'Hare, The Simpsons. They had classics. Oh, God, they were, yeah, they were awesome. And they're, they're, that Bucky O'Hare game was dope. I came, I came in front on that. The cartoon was all right. It was the '90s, and and the animation was kind of cheap. Right. But like a lot of people were doing that because they were trying to churn these cartoons out as quick as possible in order mm-hmm. to also sell these toys. Because there's always a toy associated with the cartoon. Whereas right. now, whereas nowadays, there might not be a toy associated with the cartoon depending on who's carrying the cartoon. The cartoons were toy commercials when we were coming up, you know. Oh yeah, and some and some all about, but oh yeah, some were hot as fire. Some was cold as ice. That's true. That's um, true. But but cops was that fire was that fire, and, you're, and like and you uh, you had tweeted 
to me and uh, and then another friend of mine he said that cop's theme song is the greatest of all time they blew their entire production budget on the opening credits man you did not know what you were getting into when that song came on the song sounds like it's like it's like just blaze needs to sample that <laughs> that horn riff when it comes in it's oh, just yeah. crazy and then the animation i mean i haven't watched it recently but the animation was so slick there was like cell shading which i don't think i had ever seen before it, just a crazy action sequence and then like it turned into clutch cargo after the commercial break yeah man like you, you'd have to be careful like certain episodes had you know had that hot animation there were a few episodes that had nice animation because what they would do they would farm out as many episodes to as many animation houses as possible and because they wanted to get the stuff done quickly so you but you would have that one ha- animation house that did those fly ass episodes that looked beautiful and, uh-, and normally those would be like the first four episodes. Your first four episodes will like look like ultra hot because I remember those because they looked ultra hot. And then you get to about the fifth and sixth, you're like, ooh, the, the, yeah. the, the quality's kind of dipped a bit. But when you're a kid, you don't know any better. But you get older, yeah. yeah, and they would just port these episodes to like a gajillion different animation houses and they would get them all back in one big glob. Here's here's our here's our run of episodes, and when it's done, it's done. And the, right. and the goal was back then, the way cartoons worked, um, syndicated cartoons. You hit X amount of episodes, and the producers thought you know the producers had a thought of if you hit more than X amount of episodes, you can't make any more money off the cartoon anymore. So you ended at sixty five. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you ended at 65 episodes, and that's why a lot of cartoons of the 80s and early 90s ended at 65 episodes. Nowadays, it could either be, say, for instance, if you want something syndicated, you want to hit between 26 to 52 episodes um, cartoon-wise. Television is a little different. Television still wants a high number of episodes, and if you reach those episodes, then you get that syndication deal. If you want to cancel the series fine because especially if a series has lost its heat like um, i mean that's like kind of like one of the one of the main reasons why um two and a half men is still on air even without charlie sheen because the thing is the syndication money from two and a half men is big so you want to keep making episodes so you can eventually syndicate those as well and there was like another series that actually oh fringe Fringe is getting its final season next year, a 13-episode season. One of the main reasons why they're getting it, even though Fox put it on Friday night, which is the kiss of death, the thing about it is is that once they hit those 13 episodes for the, for the final season next year, they've got enough for a syndication run. Then that's it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's money right there. So, yeah, but that's, that's, the, way, that's the way it worked. But, yeah, man, Cops was the shit. Even though, like, Bulletproof Vest did not sound like a black dude. <laughs> and I'm not trying to like quantify what is black or anything like that, but like his voice did not match his body. <laughs> yeah, I don't, man. I remember, I just kind of like, I remember the theme song. Like the theme song, it's sad how often I still think of the theme song. And I feel like the toys were actually pretty dope. But yeah. oh man, I don't know if I could, I could, I don't think I could tell you anything about the cartoon beyond that. Oh, the toys was fire. Miss Demeanor. I remember Miss Demeanor. Oh yeah. She was. And then who was the who was the dude in the uh he had like the white man prees and like the blue members <laughs> only jacket and like the the blonde 
crew cut. Oh, dude, dude. See, now I got to look this shit up. And he had like, he had like the snaps on his shoes, like Fred Astaire. The designs on these were just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but the thing was, was that on the actual uh, cop's toys, the artwork on the cop's toys was by Bart Sears. That makes so much sense. Yeah, because it started out as cops, and then I think it moved on to, to being cops and crooks. It ran from 88 to 89. Like I said, they burned through those 60-something episodes. And right, then right. in 93, CBS Saturday, Saturday picked it up and called it Cyber Cops because at that time, there was a reality show named Cops on television, so they didn't want to like get things all mixed up. That's right. You had... Baldwin P. Bulletproof Vest, BP Vest, PJ O'Malley, nicknamed Long Arm, uh, <laughs> Rex Bowser Pointer with his dog Blitz, Walker Sundown Calhoun, Colt Mace Howards, let's see some of the crooks, uh, Brandon Big Boss Babble, uh, Berserko, <laughs> Rock, cr- Rock Crusher, Misdemeanor, Turbo Two Tone. Turbo Two Tone. <laughs> uh, uh, oh somebody a rapper needs to just take that name right now you know Tur- Dr. Bad Vibes yes Yo, oh all, actually all of these villain names are, are kind of cool rapper names Buttons Squeaky M- Clean Buttons McBoom Boom Buttons McBoom Boom <laughs> <laughs> all the, somebody needs to just turn all these crooks into rappers oh my gosh is that these are the like that's your real name like Buttons McBoom Boom that's yes. crazy how are you not going to go into a life of crime? <laughs> they got a dude. They got a dude named Cuckoo. Cuckoo, and I like how there's no description on Cuckoo on the Wikipedia page. Everybody else has like a four line paragraph. Cuckoo is just a mystery. Yeah, because see, Cuckoo, Cuckoo is just wild. He would wild you can't, out. You can't describe Cuckoo. No, you can't. You you can't. Cuckoo is like that lost cash money member that nobody remembers. <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting there ch- chilling with uh, oh, what was that dude? What was it, like the BG? BG, yeah. Well, he was uh, he was no limit, right? But then he, no, no, he was Cash Money. That's right. Yeah, he yeah. he was he was Cash Money, and like Cash Money had like this massive family, and it just like shrunk down. Everybody went there one way. Juvenile went over here. BG went over there. You know, yeah, right. it was it was really weird. And the thing was, is like I was not a big Cash Money fan, but for some reason, you could not escape Cash Money records in the nine nine to two thousand. <laughs> where now? Now where? Now where are you from originally? Where were or where were you in nine nine two thousand? And, and, and that and during that period of time, I was in Ohio. I was in the great. Okay. I was in the greater Cincinnati area. Okay, and, so I'm I'm born and raised in Louisiana. So if you want to talk about not escaping that era, <laughs> I mean, from No Limit to Cash Money, like, and I was like, I grew up. I was kind of a, I was kind of an East Coast head. So, mm-hmm. like, on one level, I was proud that the South was on the map. But man, I just I just had a really unless you're like at a club or at a party, it's it was really hard to get happy about that music, and it was like all the radio would play. Did did and you like did, the radio station the the one like rap station in my town would do No Limit Saturdays. I <laughs> radio Saturday was nothing but No Limit, which was so funny because that's what they did every other day of the week too. Damn! And so, I, did they give you an extra dose of Project Pat? <laughs> See, it felt like an extra dose, but uh, you know, actually, I kind of, I kind of turned around on that no limit stuff. I kind of have a little bit of a nostalgia for it. So, I, I think the thing that got me with no, with no limit during its rise to fame, 
and a couple of labels did this. It was it was it was the No Limit album covers. Pen and Pixel. Dude. <laughs> and they just they just look like they just came straight out of Kinko's. I, I, and I never understood it to me because to me it was a turnoff because I just thought it was just really cheap design. But like people ate that up. Man, just uh, just a, a crime of Photoshop right there. And like the, and other and other labels started to do it, too. Well, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's like, that's just music. Like when something's successful, it becomes a formula. And then, you know, you got West Coast rappers trying to sound like they're from New Orleans. But uh, yeah, just like the, the the embezzled, embossed lens flare, eight hundred Photoshop layers, just real literal. If you were if you had dog in your name, then they were going to Photoshop a bunch of dogs mm. with diamond studded collars around you. You know, if you were talking about how hot your music was, they were going to Photoshop some fire on your head to show how hot you were. <laughs> there was no abstraction. It was very very literal. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was quite an era. Yeah, man, it, it was it was strange. But see, at least at that era, at that time, there were, yeah, you know, Cash Money had a hold on things. No Limit had a hold on things, but a lot of other, but a lot of other rappers did too. And it was just real. It was it was real diverse. Even though like a lot of the songs, like I, you know, nowadays if I heard them now, I wasn't hot on them hot on them then, and I probably wouldn't still be too hot on them now. But there's still songs I still did enjoy. But you heard pretty much everything. It was like the South, the East, the Midwest, uh, you know, the West Coast. They it was re- I mean it was around that time. I mean they played everything. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, yeah, and a lot of artists had gotten older and like, and they had changed their style and stuff. But still, they played everything. And I don't want to say like, oh, it was like it was a great time in hip hop and all this other stuff. I don't want to be that dude because like, you know, to me, shit is still jacked up as far as like radio goes. And uh-huh. and I won't I won't go into that tirade. But um, <laughs> but no, man, like all these crooks from the cop series, I'm telling y'all, um, they should be like a set of rappers, like. Brandon Big Big Boss Babble could be like Rick Ross's cousin. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> you know, he could That's be true. He could be Rick Ross's cousin, Big Boss Rick Ross. See, it works. He had a pet weasel named Scratch. Yep. That's hip hop that's Scratch. I mean that's Scratch is his DJ. Oh my gosh. You and did you know that it was now we gotta be clear that when we say when we call him the crooks, we're not just that's that's capital that's C dot R dot O dot o dot k dot s dot crooks like this was this was an organization do we know what that stood for um not a damn clue um <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 trying to i'm still trying to find out to this day because i remember what so that would be like your ymcmb lol omg yes equivalent would be the C-R-O-O-K-S. I'd, I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree. And the music for the series was created by uh, 80s cartoon producing legend, Shuki Levy. Shuki and, Levy. And um, the, yeah, the music for the series was created by him, while the cop's theme music was written and composed by Haim Saban. Haim Saban is the gentleman that gave us Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Okay. This was his. This was like this was this was his early work, early work where he was just he was just quietly stacking paper. It was, was like his demo. Oh yeah, but like no seriously, because back then like Haim Saban and Haim Saban and Shuki Levy used to work together on a lot of stuff like Kid Video. Oh man, Kid Video, from my radio to my video. Yep, you will never see that on TV again. 
you will never see that on TV or DVD, man, because trying to get those clearance rights for them songs, shit. I, I, I only, I beg to differ, I only need 50 more names on my petition. <laughs> and I think things are going to change. Uh, all right. You're doing Ferrari Boys. You did the Kickstarter with Tales to Suffice. You have a multitude of other web comics. You're working with Mad with Mad Magazine right now, and you know you're doing like all these different projects. How are you able to balance all these projects and still you know you know maintain a schedule plus maintain like a family life? It's crazy, man. Um, I'm still figuring that out, but I, I mean, I have a super awesome supportive wife. Uh, she's actually in the backyard uh, with our son right now. You know, she's been watching them all day while I've been working, and you know, so she's 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 the main reason I'm able to pursue this the way I have been these past couple of years. But uh, you know, we just and she works too. So when she's at work, I'm I'm not working. I'm you know with our son. So I'm I'm doing all this, and I'm also doing it in kind of a truncated amount of time throughout the week. So it's just kind of madness. But you know, I'm I'm focused and I'm motivated. So I just like you know, I would just try and work hard and work efficiently mm-hmm. and, uh, it's you know it's uh, this the stuff i want to do versus the stuff i can do it, it it can be frustrating sometimes but i think everybody goes through that i don't think any i think you could spend you know 50 hours a week doing this and still not feel like you got it all done so oh yeah uh, the, the key is just to i don't know i can't i can't offer any advice on that just uh but it seems to be it seems to be going well i'm still figuring it out as it goes but uh yeah now as far as it's just a random question as far as like that special project that one thing that you that that you would like to do regardless of money regardless of anything if is there that one project that you know no matter what you want to see it happen and it's got kenny kyle's name on it one day oh dang um ferrari boys the animated series i mean let's be real okay all right. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know if I've come up with the the big one yet. No, no, that's cool, man. It's cool. I, I just wanted. I just wanted to throw that out there. I mean, we, you know, you're like myself. You know, we're both creators. We, you know, yeah. we try to create these worlds and these all these projects, yeah. and we've always got something in the back of our head, our head that we think is the next, you know, great yeah. thing, regardless of how anybody feels about it. You just want to see it out there so the world can see it. Yeah, I'm kind of going through that right now with the with the script I wrote uh, for this this web comic, but hopefully I'm going to start it at the end of the summer. So hopefully that hopefully I'll actually have that have that rolling. Now, when you when you work on like these web comics, when you work on you know all all the work that you do, are you more on the digital side of things, or are you still you know pencils and inks and then digital with like Photoshop? No, I'm totally I'm totally digital. I you know I went to school for graphic design, so like. I wasn't I wasn't doing stuff with paintbrushes and canvas. I was over in the computer lab on Photoshop and Illustrator. So I am totally like I'm a mess with a brush. You don't want to see me do anything on paper. <laughs> I uh, I got I use Illustrator. I I got my Wacom, Wacom, Waka Flockum, and uh, what I call it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm all digital. I do my I make like custom brushes so I can kind of get a natural look to it in illustrator like my stuff i don't i don't like it to look too vectory or illustrator i kind of try to fake it so it looks traditional but i definitely the, the computer is such an asset to me 
I wish I could have. I wish I had more traditional skill sets sometimes, but you know, it's just so it's just so dang easy with the computer these days. Each artist does their own thing their own way, and and I'm you know and I'm like I'm not I'm I'm not you know I, there's no way I can knock you for it, you know it's yeah. you know it's not like you're getting the. Um, it's, it's just like one thing, like I always tell people, it's one thing to just trace something and then present it as art. And there's another, and then, and then there's actual people that can use the computer to create original art. Because there are a lot of artists, like say, for instance, uh, Freddie Williams, who does like a lot of work for DC. It's all digital. You, you, you know what I mean? Like from the, yeah. from the pencils, the inks, all that st- stuff that he does is digital. Hell, he even like wrote a damn book on it. Oh really? Yeah. Yes, he did. He wrote a book on it, and uh, it's it's pretty freaking cool. Like, I mean, he talks about how to you know break down panels, layouts, um, all all the stuff, and it's all digital. That's dope. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tool like anything else. Like, you know, if you use it right. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, yeah, you, you can definitely you know use it to your advantage. You know, so no, it's 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 great. I just I just need an undo key, just in in life in general, but. Oh, I think a lot of us do, sir. <laughs> I need to command Z a lot, so computers <laughs> oh, yeah. me that luxury. I think it would sell better than that Staples button. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shoot, you're right. We, yeah, we all we all need those. Something else that we need to talk about before we go, and um, this is something that's close to my heart. Also, it, this has been talked about on Twitter. That is the power that is Superman 3. Absolutely. There are no words that can describe the overall craziness of Superman 3, except that this movie is a comic book movie through and through for the crazy batshit things that happen. <laughs> and the fact that they brought in Richard Pryor <laughs> they brought yeah. in Richard Pryor into this movie because people are like oh this is just a Richard Pryor movie I don't even think Richard Pryor knew it was a Richard Pryor movie I don't even think Christopher Reeve knew that this was a Superman movie it is yeah. just a hot ass mess yeah I think yeah it's like a Richard Pryor movie that they worked Superman it's like you know they had two like unfinished scripts and they're like I got this Richard Pryor movie it's half done Superman 3 it's just about their deadlines. Let's just mash them up. <laughs> it, it's the strange, the strangest thing. There was um, this documentary, like it's called "Look Up in the Sky." I think it's like it's a bird. It's playing a Superman, and this was around the time that Superman Returns was about to hit the movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. And they had the producers, um, like the, uh, the Salkins. I can never remember their last names properly, but but they were talking about Superman three and how. They loved Richard Pryor. They like they just loved him, and they wanted him in a Superman movie. And this was all, this was also talked about on the uh, How Did This Get Made podcast. And they had said that they saw uh, Richard Pryor do like this whole Superman monologue. I think either it was probably like either Jimmy Carson or Dick Cavett or something like that. And they saw that, and the crowd like loved it. Was you know laughing about it, making jokes. And they were like, "We gotta have him in a Superman movie." <laughs> so. So, that makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, that's just, yeah. It, Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you see a comedy set and think, let's make a Superman movie around that? And the director is, is Richard Lester, who like directed the original Superman 2. And I've seen the Richard Donner cut for Superman 2, which is actually a lot better. It cuts out like a lot of the super silly shit. Okay. And okay. 
and it's just that like you know Donner was just a better director than than Lester and then like a Superman 3 Richard Lester puts all this like bizarre shit in the movie we 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 realize that we can create kryptonite using a computer and tar and it makes Superman into like a rapist and <laughs> it, it's just it's so fucked up you know you got a Superman versus to be fair, to be fair more of a date rapist okay date rape okay <laughs> date rape we will yeah slandering superman here oh yeah it's it's just it's the strangest thing you got robert vaughn as like this like generic lex luther and i'm a big robert vaughn fan you know that dude is old school television you know what i'm saying that's that's true that's my dude you know yeah you know he was in battle beyond the stars you know (laughs) you know basically playing the same role he played in the magnificent seven you know that's that's max seven you know that's that's my dude and how, yeah. and how come there isn't a rap group named Magnificent Seven? I would, I would, there might be. I mean, if I can find six other guys, there, there will be. Now, see, now I got, I got to look that up too. Hold on, let me check the yeah, internet. Let's see. And did they have cool codes? No. Like, man, Superman three. It's my, it's, it's, it's still my favorite Superman movie because it's like they made a movie that's almost as every bit as crazy as the craziest Superman comic you could find. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's like goes it's like they took a mort weisinger comic book from like the 50s or 60s and just said fuck it put this shit on screen exactly <laughs> exactly you know it's it's weird and characters that didn't want nothing to do with it they just like wrote them off lois lane, <laughs> lois lane was like i'm going on vacation She's going on, exactly yeah here's my bikini i'm like really co-workers yeah. and i'm Piece. Yeah, you know, one- yeah, it was like, yeah, like okay, look, like Superman one, that gets the like people love it, and I I love like the tone of it, and I love the origin story aspect, but I you know it kind of it gets it gets kind of weird and corny at times with the romance stuff, and he's up against a real estate scam as a threat, <laughs> so like they like they Superman three is like to me it's the only time on screen that they've ever given Superman like a a real threat i mean i know like zod whatever mm-hmm. i don't really i don't really mess with superman too i didn't like all the honeymoon in niagara falls stuff so i write that one off see but in the superman, sorry, you had superman junkyard fight yo that shit was real creepy too that that was real creepy and how is clark kent gonna throw tires on superman like that's gonna stop superman you would think he would know <laughs> exactly he would have an inside track on what can stop superman oh yeah or like that scene where uh, like where like like superman like superman throws clark kent into the compactor and like clark kent like busts out of the compactor and shit i'm like oh this is just becoming way too crazy for me right now every time i watch i'm never sure if he's gonna come out of that compactor or not <laughs> It's just just bizarre and and gus gorman he skis down the empire state building and there's just so much fucked up bizarre ass shit in this movie you gotta watch it and and a lot of people like oh this is Richard Pryor's fault this movie's so bad no that movie was bad before the script was even finished it still made money it still made money and so oh I just you're right it is like the most craziest issue of Superman that was ever written and translated for like the film medium and it's just the strangest fucking thing i've ever seen but i can't stop i can't stop watching it i can't Can't avert your eyes no no exactly you you can't and anybody that says that they that they can is a damn liar 
you got to watch Superman 3 because it's just that crazy. You, I would say you would never see a movie like that again, but we've seen some bad movies over the past few years. It, yeah, you know, true. So I, 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 can't, I can't say that you'll never see a movie like that again because they do exist. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, but I think that they've, this was, I don't, I'm going to go so far as to say they didn't have a superhero movie formula yet when Superman 3 was out. True. Like you would think, being that it was Superman 3, that they kind of had a template, but... I think that there was there was still like they were still kind of figuring out how crazy could you get, True. how corny could you get. No, I, I think they're kind of getting that figured out now. You know, everything's everything's got kind of like a Christopher Nolan kind of darkness to it now. So uh, you know, like super serious. Um, I, yeah, I would love to see a movie like that again, but uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen for a while either. I mean, you might get that possibly um, by you know by the time this podcast airs out, like with the Avengers. But I mean, but that's going to be like part serious, but part fun. Yeah, um, Marvel's got like a great, uh, great balance right now with the way they're doing things. You know, like my, I guess like my whole thing is is that and this has been mentioned on the show a number of times is when something is successful, like say for instance the Dark Knight series. Warner Brothers thinks that, okay, all of our superhero movies need to be edgy. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not really the case. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. It, it works for Batman for a specific reason. And, I mean, like, if you want to fuck around and do a Lobo movie, which they are actually doing now, um, and you want to go ahead and make that edgy, I understand that because, hey, it's Lobo. But, right, yeah. But for, like, you know, something like, say, for instance, Superman or Shazam, or the mess that's Green Lantern. And the reason why I call Green Lantern a mess, I watched it again with the missus not too long ago. Mm. And I think I realized what the issue is with this movie, besides the number of script rewrites um, and script changes over and Mm -hmm. over again. This film, you don't know whether it wants to be a kid's movie, a movie for adults, or or a movie for everybody. It doesn't know what it wants to be. There are some scenes where they do some real silly Challenge of the Super Friends shit. And then there's some, like, dark scenes where, like, on, on the Dark Knight tip type side of things. And okay, the, yeah. It doesn't know what it wants to be. And, and you literally, it's like literally watching on screen executives fighting <laughs> while the kids are screaming, please don't fight anymore. That's, that's what it looks like on screen. Cause there are some parts of it. I'm like, this isn't bad. And then you're like, Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh yeah. That's not a good look. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm. I just like I. I can't even wrap my head around the fact that we're getting an Avengers movie. Yeah, yeah. Like I, see the, I see the ads everywhere, and I see the trailers, and I've heard from people who have seen it, but I'm still like, nah, nah, they, they didn't make that. Exactly. I'm like, and in in, like in my childhood, I'm like, yeah, there's no way. I mean. I mean, right. I, I remember as, as a kid in the in like the eighties, early nineties, reading a magazine called Comic Scene, which, okay. which uh, talked about comic books. They had interviews with artists and creators, writers, and in, and toward the back of the magazine, they would talk about like live action projects or animated projects. Uh-huh. And there was one issue where they talked about the Captain America movie. And this, this is the nineties 
video one? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, yes. go on. Sorry. And, and they had a big-ass write-up on it because it was supposed to hit the theaters, and they talked with, I think his name was Matt Salinger, the guy who was, supposed to be, who was playing Captain America, and like some of the movie was filmed in uh, Springfield, Ohio. And I, Yes, yeah, either Springfield or Fairborn, Ohio, which isn't that far away from um, my hometown where I you know, lived the majority of my life, Middletown, and and it was you know, it was this really big you know interview. I was, I was all excited for it. Mm-hmm. And it never, you know, it never showed up in the movie theaters, and mm-hmm. it quietly was on video, like VHS, for like a hot second and disappeared. Yes. And, and then, out of nowhere, with the release of the actual Marvel Captain America movie, they took that old school Cap movie, put it on Blu-ray. Of course, they did. Yes, and so, so now you can really see the the quality of his plastic ears. Yo, it was on Hulu for a good hot minute too. I watched it on Hulu. I watched it. I remember seeing, I mean, I remember, but like you, you said, quietly is the word because, like, I was, I can remember being, like, very distinctly being, like, at the corner video store and it was, like, buried under three copies of Disorderlies. <laughs> I was like, when did they make a Captain America movie? I was like, this is crazy. This is the best thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't the best thing as it turned out. But when you're little, like, you don't care. Like, you'll take it any way you can get it because I must have watched that Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie, well, like, 500 times because. Oh. It's like any any chance to see your character, you know, on screen is just like I'll take whatever I can get, you know. Oh no doubt, no I know, I, I know you feel. Hey, I went to go see Meteor Man. Meteor Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 There were some funny bits, man. I, I still like the gag where he like is afraid of heights. <laughs> so he like flies near to the ground. It's like three feet off the sidewalk. Yeah. Just kind of. Yeah, boy, they put that had that movie had like every black star possible at that time in both film, almost in film and music. Was Luther Vandross a villain in that movie? He was a gangster. He was a gangster. He was a gangster. Yes. Wow. Yes. Oh. (laughs) Moment of silence. Yes. And and yes. You know that man cut some great albums, but even then, when I saw that, like. Cause I was the only person in the movie yeah. theater when it when it came out. Oh damn! Well, and so I'm like, oh, it's just me. I'm just gonna clown. And yes. <laughs> and Luther Vandross came on screen. I just fell out. I'm like, Luther Vandross <laughs> is not a gangster, okay? <laughs> you know, this man sang a house is not a home. All right. Exactly. You know, this man sang superstar. You know, no, yeah. no, 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 no. He's he's not a gangster. You know, he sang never too much, but as it turns out. This was too much. Yeah, it was too much. Yes, it was. You know, yeah. Luther. That's, that's that's my dude. You know, always, yeah, always and forever. But still, it's yeah. That was kind of rough, man. Stay in your lane. Don't. <laughs> I think that's the lesson learned here. Yo, man, it had another bad creation in it too. ABC. Yep. And speaking of ABC, there was a there was a rap group called Mag Seven. And there was okay. And there and they were a Biv Ten production. Biv Ten. Wow. Yes, yes, and uh, they had like a, either an EP or like a CD single, and that and that was it. Mag That's Seven, yes, yes, indeed. Uh-huh. Biv Ten Records, boys Biv to Ten Records. boys to men, ABC, BBD. Sudden, they had a, he had a group of white boys called uh, Sudden Impact that never came out. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, yeah, like they didn't they show up on the video, but they didn't say their name, and then they were never heard from again. Yeah, yeah, like like in the first like <laughs> those guys. Tell me, that just showed up on screen for a second. No one- <laughs> See, the in the Boys to Men Motown Philly video, 
they would like cut to like these groups that like Biv Ten was coming out with. It'd be a black background and be like neon lights on the top, right? And one of them was like, I think it was called Sudden Impact. And there's just like these four white dudes and they pointed at the screen and it was like Sudden Impact. Never saw them dudes again. And no, and no, then sir. and then you had um, the, the East Coast Family Volume 1 where Michael Bivens introduced like all these acts, including like his little nephew Fruit Punch, who Fruit Punch. who was like a rapper, and like it introduced like all these acts. And at the end, at the anchor, he put Boys to Men on at the an- on the anchor because you want your highest selling group on at the uh, you know on at the end. But I looked through all those acts because like somebody like brought up the video and sent it to me, and I'm like doesn't exist doesn't exist doesn't exist doesn't <laughs> exist gone 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 and it's like all oh, boys the men that's it no longevity none whatsoever i mean i mean i mean it was better than mc brains but um, uchi kuchi i had that single. i was cleaning out my garage a few months ago <laughs> and i came across my uchi kuchi single. oh dude dude <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mc brains was fire i mean the dude ended the song with the words girls ladies you better stay on that pill because i might not get you but the next man will (laughs) (laughs) he gets no love he gets no love for me he gets no love whatsoever no oh my god this could be the greatest podcast recording ever social commentary oh yeah it it, it was so much that when be i mean you know he's all right Yo, man, when BET played that video, when it came to that part of the song, they literally bleeped out the word pill. <laughs> I'm for real. I'm dead nice. fucking serious, man. They was like, no, nice. that's that's too extreme. Too extreme. Too extreme. You can't say pill. It's like, boop. I was like, really? Yeah. I'm like, this is video vibrations I'm talking about after video, video vibrations. Oh, yeah. 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 <sighs> Man, I think I think I think Ronald DeVoe had the right idea of getting into real estate. Hey, see, yeah, me. He, he he saved he saved up his money. He's doing well. But see, the whole new edition crew, like you know, because they're torn. They're they're like you know they're they're torn right now. Doing well, sold out a lot of shows, and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, they're doing good for themselves. So mm-hmm. like you know, I'm I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them. Like like, and the thing is, like they can still like do their thing separately and still like put on a show. And yeah, yeah. So, so no, I mean it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Like I'm just glad like they're not. It's not to the forum where like they're destitute. They're like, oh, we got to perform because we broke. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like no, they perform because one they want to, and uh, you know financially they're doing you know they doing all right. So that makes me yeah, happy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean they. They they had that comeback album like in the late nineties. It was actually kind of solid. They had some singles. Oh, Home Again was the shit. Yeah, yeah. That, man, that's my record. That's still on my iPod. Yeah. <laughs> you know, shoot, I got to play. I got to play. Hit me off, and you don't have to worry. And the remix version produced by Puffy, with, with Missy Elliott on it. Um, wow. Hey, don't get me. See, I'm, I'm a big New Edition fan, man. Real okay. big. Okay. That, that was my shit. Salute. <laughs> but no, man. I tell you what. I tell you what. Before we wrap up this um, this interview, Kenny, would you like to tell the people where they can check out your comics and uh, where they can find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my website is tales2suffice.com. You can read Ferrari Boys there. You can read a bunch of Tales to Suffice comics on there. Uh, all my new stuff that I got coming down the pipeline, it's going to show up on that site. 
that's kind of my hub for all my comic stuff. And uh, if you want to hop over on the Twitter, you, uh, I am uh, at Kenny Kyle. Uh, and that's where I be. And that's Kenny Kyle. Kyle is spelled K-E-I-L. That's correct. Yes. Word. But no, but Kenny, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And you are welcome back anytime, brother. Oh, I appreciate it. I had fun. Thank you. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Nerd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment, or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then... Dream big and hustle hard. There's this guy by the name of Gary Goddard. He used to be this like super mega producer. Uh, back in the 80s of like movies and he also directed a couple movies uh-huh. and um, he's been involved in a lot of the um, re-emerging of uh, 80s and early 90s stuff to like DVD like uh, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future oh snap with the with the gun that you shot at the TV yes oh yes. my god yes okay okay and what ha- what happened is he um, his group helped bring that to DVD in like a it's like a two or three disc box set with all the tri- with all the extra trimmings and uh-huh. completely remastered and and like even during like when you watch an episode the uh, you know the enemy that you're shooting at like the uh, the glow lights are still there yes so I mean and I don't know how well that would work on an HD TV but like there's a piece of me that just wants the box set one because I love that show and oh go ahead. No, no, I'm just curious. Are they are they repackaging the uh, the toy too? No, 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 no. This is strictly the uh, the DVDs. I mean, strictly the TV series. I don't know if Mattel. I don't know who actually has the rights to the toys anymore. And if Mattel still has the rights, God knows you'll never see that again. Or if you do, it'll be part of the Maddie Collector website. And I'm not paying forty five dollars for a three and three quarter <laughs> Captain Power action figure. Yeah, that's, no, that's a good impulse. Yeah, I used to. I used to. Uh, I had a couple of the VHS, and I would. Uh, I would play it, but like you could tell when they were about to shoot at you. Mm. So I would just, that's when I would put it behind my back. <laughs> see, and I just let them unload their lasers on me and then resume firing. No, see, that's cool. Now, did you have those VHS tapes? Were those the episodes or were those the training tapes? I had, I, I definitely remember the training tape. I think I had that, and I think I just tried to catch the episodes whenever i could but i feel i feel like they came on at a really weird time like it was like an early sunday morning kind of show yeah well you know the the thing the thing about it the thing about it is depending on where you were where you live is because it was syndicated right uh, you you know it could be airing on like one station at 6 30 in the morning on a saturday or five o'clock in the morning on a sunday like in my neighborhood my neighborhood it was 12 30 every saturday and I was like the happiest kid in the world because it literally all the cartoons were done by 12:30, and Captain Power was right was right there, and it was like the perfect capper. And then I could watch wrestling for two hours. Nice, yeah, because that's that's usually a, that's that, that was always a hard time where I lived because that was when everything ended, and you were like 
you were coming down from all the cartoons and like the cereal sugar high. Mm-hmm. Like early Saturday afternoon was always like a really dark time. Oh yeah, it, 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 it dissipated. It, but, uh, it was interesting. Like it was interesting in my neighborhood during the '80s, especially around that period, because you would literally have cartoons. This is before, you know, networks gave up on Saturday morning cartoons. All mm-hmm. um, before they completely gave up altogether, and cable took over. But you had all like ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox all had cartoons. They would end between 12, 12, 30, sometimes maybe even one o'clock. And then you would have wrestling or like a syndicated show like Captain Power. And uh, this was all, and I don't know how, what it was like in your neighborhood at the time, but in like in that period of time for me in our neighborhood, um, the local stations would play the shit out of Three Stooges. So you, yeah. could, you could literally be watching TV on a Saturday from seven in the morning till four in the afternoon. That's amazing. Yeah. They don't even, I mean, I don't think they, they hardly show any cartoons at all anymore, do they? It's like, that's all gone to the cable networks, huh? Yep, it's pretty much going to cable. There's there's a rumor, there's a rumor that a couple, that maybe one or two networks might hop back into the, uh, into the cartoon, Saturday uh, morning cartoon game, but I know Fox is doing a Saturday night, like, animation domination thing, because what they did is they just hired two former executives from adult swim okay yeah i think i read about that to, to spearhead uh, to spearhead like a late night saturday uh, adult a fox adult swimish division and like the first cartoon on there's gonna be axe cop yeah that's right yeah so it's crazy uh, yeah yeah it's absolutely crazy but you know what man hold on. let's go ahead and, and get into things and All right, let's go ahead and get the start. And it's Kenny Keel, right? Uh, Kyle. Kenny Kyle, thank you. See, I've been wanting to say Kenny... For the longest time, I've been wanting to say, Kenny Keel, tell him how you feel. Um, (laughs) Kenny Kyle. All right, cool. Let me write that down. I don't like jacking up names. That's one of my pet peeves. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Fair enough. I'm used to it. I get Keel more than I get Kyle, so... Oh, no problem, man. I mean, at least it ain't like Krzyzewski. You, right. you, you know what I'm saying? So you, you, it's all good. It's all good. All right, here Point. we go. 